Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, it's good to see you. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt, and I'm the pastor over in the Spirit Lake campus. And Jordan and I are doing a pulpit swap today. So that's what brings me down here. I also want to remind you that next week, if you come here, you will be alone because no one will be here. Because next week, we have the One Church, One Day event in Arnold's Park, where both campuses are getting together. And we're going to be there at Arnold's Park at 1030. And Jordan, I want to remind you, please bring your own seating. Like, bring lawn chairs, because we don't have any of those. So uh, go ahead, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into our study of God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for how your Word guides us into truth. At Crosswinds, we want to be people of the book, people with our finger consistently and frequently in the text. And may the Word of God guide us as we seek to live. I ask that you would help me as I seek to teach your Word this morning, especially as we deal with this issue of the virtual church, which has become such a uh, prominent part of American and even an international uh, church culture right now. Help us to think clearly and right, wisely on this issue, and help me to teach well. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, quick question for you. How many of you guys have ever watched a church service online? Put your hands up. Okay, a, a lot of you. Now, next question. How many of you have watched a crosswind service online? Okay, that's good. It's good. By the way, I think the people who do the tech stuff in the back and try and put the service online and all the hard work they do, I just think they do a pretty good job. Don't they? Yeah. Grant's in the back going like, yeah, that's me. So he's happy about that. Um, just so you know, Grant, and you guys who are doing this kind of stuff, there's a lot of people that watch online, and we track those statistics very closely, knowing what platform they're on, how long they're engaged. Um, take, for instance, this COVID in February this past year. You realize that between both campuses, there was about 300 people connecting every weekend to watch worship services. It's a lot of people that are watching online. And you'd think, well, at this point, maybe people don't watch online that much anymore. As of two weeks ago, between both campuses, on average, the number was between 100 to 200 people that are watching online a weekend. And that's not just a little Facebook pass-by. The only way we count Facebook, if there's been an active engagement for, I think it's like three seconds or something like that, we don't even count unless it's that long. So there's a lot of people that are um, watching online. And we're actually sort of a small fish in this pond. Uh, go to large churches. Maybe if you, if you heard of Saddleback Church, any of you guys, Rick Warren out there, they have 20,000 people that connect online every weekend. It's a lot of folks on there. COVID, what it did, it took a lot of churches that were sort of tinkering with this online experience in the virtual church world, and it moved them from thinking about it to actually doing it. And it's really popular nowadays. Everyone's saying, connect with your church online. 
Um, by the way, we've been doing that for a long time at Crosswinds. I did some research on this about 12 years ago when on the Spirit Lake campus we began streaming and Diane remembers when we redid the stage and put the video cameras in there and started all that stuff. Uh, on the Spirit Lake online archive, there's over 1,200 videos. In fact, we just started a separate online archive this past year for Spencer, and I don't even know how many are on there, but they're going to start to build it as well. So it shows you there's a lot of online stuff out there. And for us, the virtual church has actually been a pretty good thing. Uh, you think about COVID, man, we were able to stay relatively well-connected during COVID. Um, in Spirit Lake, I can say this, Sometimes in February or January, when we have a snowstorm, not a lot of people actually make it in. In fact, I've checked online, and more people are online than are actually in the building. So it's a good thing we can stream. People who are sick, I know, stay actively involved and connected. I have shut-ins that stay actively involved and connected. People who are traveling, a lot of folks who are in retirement years, they stay actively involved and connected through the virtual church. I'll give you a fun, interesting example. We had one couple that vacations in the Spirit Lake area, and they were vacationing and started coming to Crosswinds in Spirit Lake last summer. And of course, they went home, and where the city they lived in, no one was allowed to go to church. They had to watch everything online. So they said, well, why don't we just keep watching Crosswinds? We like to finish the sermon series. And they went through the entire year watching online. In fact, next time they actually came back in a physical church was a year later when they returned to Crosswinds. So it shows you there's a lot of folks out there doing this online experience. The virtual church, as I said, is sort of exploding in our culture right now. Very popular. I already mentioned Saddleback has 20,000 people a weekend. Some of the folks who are the shakers and movers and the people that you like to learn from and follow in the, in the church world, they are saying that the online church is going to be the church of the future. That more people are going to be connected online than are ever in a physical building. An example I'll give you for that is Andy Stanley. Maybe you've heard of his famous quote. He was being interviewed at Liberty University, of course, virtually, not physically. And he said, you know, I keep hearing that people say, the Lord commands us to meet. The Lord commands us to meet. Then he stopped, he looked in the camera, and he said, no, he does not. When it came to COVID, he canceled his church for an entire year and moved everything online. Now, here's the question for you. Is Andy Stanley right? Is it true that the Lord does not command us to meet? And there is no difference between a virtual church and a, a physical church. And is the virtual church going to be the new wave of the future, that it's going to make the physical gathering of the church, like we're doing, actually sort of pass away? That's what we're going to study this morning. This morning, the topic is called the danger of the virtual church. And I'll just tell you right up front that a steady diet of virtual church or choosing to replace the physical gathering of God's people with a virtual gathering as your new way of connecting, it will not lead you and develop you into a mature Christian. It'll develop you into a self-centered, consumer-orientated Christian. 
that's incredibly immature. This idea of the virtual church, it's something I've been thinking about for quite a long time since we've been doing it, at least in the Spirit Lake campus, for over a dozen years. And so when Jordan and I were talking about this topic and we agreed we would limit ourselves to each teach for only one week on this topic, I was a little disappointed because I had so many notes and I couldn't share them all with you. So I cut back my notes drastically and I only have 13 points this morning. We'll make it through, you'll survive, and you won't miss a meal. But I think there's a lot of good stuff we're going to cover this morning about the dangers of virtual church. Now, go ahead and take your outlines out, by the way, and I ask you to fill in the blanks as we go through this. Uh, While I had 13 points, most of them are biblical, this first one is simply practical, and it's this. You need to realize that digital worship is what's called distracted worship. It is much harder for people to stay engaged and to actually learn something when they're just watching it digitally compared to when they're actually there in a building physically like you guys are this morning. To illustrate that, let me mention to you what happened for Cindy and I on July 4th. And for those of you who don't know, Cindy is my wonderful wife. We've had kids in the house all the time, and we've heard that in Arnold's Park, the green space on July 4th is the time when everybody's there, that there's thousands and thousands of people gathered. And because we have kids, we never went down there to the big sea of humanity. But, you know, my kids are out of the house, and my father didn't need to be taken care of that night. He was fine, and Cindy and I found ourselves unexpectedly on July 4th saying, hey, we, we can do what we want. Let's go down to the Arnold Park green space to watch the fireworks. So we went down there, and it was literally like trying to swim through a sea of humanity. I have never seen so many people there. And we went down there, and the band was cranking away. They were super loud. You can feel the thumping of the sub in your chest. You know that feeling? The sub gets you. And it was an engaging experience just looking at people. And by the way, the boats on the water were packed everywhere. We've never seen this. Been there 13 years. Haven't been down to Arnold's Park for July 4th. Then when it came to the fireworks, we were right on the beach, right under the fireworks, just totally engaging, watching them, the big thump. You know those ones they send up with a big bang and sort of hit you? It it was amazing. I didn't look at my phone for an entire hour and a half. That was a joke, by the way, but it's true (laughs) because we we were there physically. Now, imagine what would have happened if Cindy and I said, well, we're going to stay home and we're just going to watch the whole event on our cell phones in a streaming YouTube experience. Do you think we would have stayed engaged for two hours? Do you think maybe I would have started flipping to check Facebook, maybe checking what people are putting on Instagram? Oh, there's a, there's a Snapchat going on. You know, we would have been constantly distracted never stayed actually engaged. That's the nature of phones and electronic technology. It's constantly switching apps. And the problem is digital worship is distracted worship. To give you an idea of what this is like, um, we know that our schools, so many of them were forced online this past year during COVID. 
And people said, well, you just have to learn electronic learning and electronic education, and it's going to go really well. Did it? You want some statistics? Take Minneapolis. How do you think the students did? 40% of all Minneapolis high school students have at least one failing grade during online learning. 40%. Go to Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas, 40% of the students have at least two failing grades during online learning. Baltimore, Maryland, 20,500 kids in high school. 41% of overall students of those 21,000 during COVID had a GPA below 1.0. How well do you think they were learning digitally when they're just watching online? Not well at all. Digital worship or digital learning is very distracted learning. I was thinking about this. You guys seen the movie Thor? Marvel Comics. Remember Thor, that movie? Does anybody here watch Marvel movies? Okay, some of you guys, you've seen Thor, right? Yes, thank you. All right, two hour long movie. They only needed $253 million to produce it, to keep you engaged for two hours. Um, we have an hour and 15 minutes each week, and they don't give me $253 million to keep you engaged. So, you know, the point is that digital worship is distracted. I remember there's a guy in our church. He's a very ADD guy in Spirit Lake. He has said, I am so thankful when we started meeting again. I said, why? He said, because I couldn't stay attention, pay attention during the sermon. He sits right in the front row every week. He said, that's because that's where I need to be. And now he gets a lot out of it. So practically, this is one of the problems with digital worship, that it can never compete with physical worship because it's always going to be distracting. You're not going to get nearly as much out of it when you're just watching on your cell phone. Let's go to the second point. Let's get biblical about these things. The church is the gathering of Christ's body. It's not the watching of an event. When we say the church, what comes to your mind? For some people, what comes to mind, at least generally in the older generation, is a building because you want to go to the church. And the church has to look like a church. Well, it's a church. It has to have pews. It's a church. It has to have a steeple. And so the church, for many people, is a building. The thing you to realize is this. The church is not a building. That's point A, by the way, for you guys. It's not a building. That was more my parents' generation. And then in my generation, what started to happen was people began to think of the church more like an event. I began to think of it like an experience. You know, I, I hope you liked church. Were, were the people friendly to you at church? Did the pastor make you laugh at church? Was the coffee hot at church? Were the donuts fresh at church? Didn't you like your experience of church? By the way, the next point is, the church is not an event to be watched. It's not like a movie you come to just sort of engage and sit passively to experience. If the church was an event to be watched, the next logical piece of it is why contain that event to a building? 
You can just put that experience online. So the natural outgrowth of people viewing church like an event they go to, like a movie they went to see, is the idea of why don't we franchise it? Why don't we put it online? But it's not an event to be watched. Now the question is, well, what is the church then? I'm going to give you a little bit of Greek. In Greek, the word church is called ekklesia, and it literally means assembly. And this is the point. The church is the gathering of Christians. It's the coming together of God's people. And what do they do when they come together? They generally come together to worship. Where do they come together? Generally in a building. But you guys sitting in the pews are the church. This is not the church. And this is where the problem begins to come in when they say, well, let's do the virtual church. When people are just watching an event online virtually, are they gathered together? Absolutely not. There's none of that community. There's none of that connection. Because church, by definition, means the assembling of God's people together. So the virtual church can never be all that God has designed the physical church to be. Third point, the church is to be hearing the word together and singing to Jesus together. We get this from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. How does this address the virtual church? Well, it says we are to be teaching one another. The picture of how the church operates is not just that myself or Pastor Jordan gets up and that we teach the Word of God, but that you're also to be in life groups in the church. And when you're in life groups, you're together, and you're talking about the Word of God together and encouraging one another in the Word of God together. And it's not just life groups. You know what should also happen in the hall? Is when you gather in the hall and you're talking with some friends after church, and one person's friends talking to you about their life and the difficulties and the trials they're going through, and all of a sudden what happens is that reminds me of a verse I read this past week in my quiet time. Let me share that with you to be an encouragement to you. That's what the church does when they gather. But if you're in the virtual church, that never gathers with other people? How do you share your life with somebody else? How does somebody actually take and then encourage you with the Word of God and something that they have read? It does not happen when you are on the couch, at home, confining yourself to just watching a service online. But he also says this, we're not just to teach one another, we're to admonish one another with all wisdom. Admonish means that we're to correct. The idea is that when you're in the church and you're around your brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're living together, sometimes we'll see a brother or sister in Christ beginning to do things or or say things or live in such a way that just doesn't seem to add up to us. And we're thinking, man, I I think you've got a blind spot in, in, in your faith. 
blind spot about your life. And what happens in the church is ideally a brother or sister in Christ would then take them out to coffee and say, hey, talk to me about this area of your life. And then that brother or sister would open the Word of God and say, well, it doesn't seem like it matches up with, with Scripture. And there's this gentle admonition, this gentle correction that takes place inside of the body as we lovingly care for one another and correct one another. Does that happen at all when you're in the virtual church? When no one knows you? When no one's there to hear about you when you're starting to stray into areas that you've never even realized were not in line with God's revealed will in Scripture simply because you haven't read it or you don't know it that well? That's why we need one another. Now, Diane, I have one for you here. This one's sort of fun because he says this. He says we are to be singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know what I like when we get together as a church? I love to hear you guys sing. The real action in worship is not taking place up here. The real action in worship is taking place right there. It's you guys I love to hear when we lift our voices together in praise and worship to Jesus. It is so encouraging. In, in, in Spirit Lake, one of the things that Pastor Andy does, I've really grown to like, is he'll be singing for a while, and then he'll step back from the mic, and all of a sudden you just hear the voices in the congregation singing together to Jesus. And then a little bit later, he'll step into the mic and sing really loud, and everybody else sings even louder to Jesus. Because we're supposed to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together and encourage one another. How well does that work online? When you were watching online, how were you singing? Were you singing real loud? No. Almost everybody online just sort of watches worship. They don't actually join in worship. But when we're together... We hear one of our brothers and sisters in Christ singing. We're encouraged to sing even louder. Now, it's not that the idea of being at home is altogether wrong or virtual church is altogether wrong. Let me be clear about that. There is a time and a place for it. People that are traveling, people that are sick, people who can't come together, the virtual church is certainly far better than no church, isn't it? But the virtual church cannot become a replacement for physical church. Folks, I'm going to say this a number of times. This is the big idea I want you to understand. Together is better. Say it with me. Together is better. Let's look at the fourth point. The church is to gather, by the way, to encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is just so direct on this, so practical. Don't give up meeting together. Don't stay home. Don't think your Christian faith is just purely a personal thing and a private thing. It's not that way. We are to be knit together. Our faith is a 
corporate thing, and a big part of that is that we have a responsibility to encourage one another. Is it just me, or is life hard? Life can be really hard, can it? And one of the things that I need is people in my life encouraging me when I'm at my wit's end. You get that when you meet together. You're missing that when you're watching just at home, just online. About two weeks ago, there was a man in the Spirit Lake campus, and I was going to call him up, and I wanted to encourage him. His mom is, is passing away. She's in the nursing home. He's really close to her. He's an older guy. And I just wanted to encourage him. Called him up. But as often happens, when I make those phone calls, they end up being more encouraging to me than I'm able to be to them. And this guy starts telling me, he goes, you know, you have a great church there, Pastor. I do. He said, I have just been blown away. People have been bringing us meals. People have been helping us. People have been calling us. He said, I have never experienced anything like I would have experienced at Crosswinds Church. The sense of family, the sense that people actually genuinely care about us, and they're there for us. Man, I, when I preached this message in Spirit Lake, I just got up and I told him, you guys, I am so proud of you. Because that is exactly what we're to do as a church family, to be there to encourage one another. And then he ended with this, which I thought made me realize he was not exaggerating. He said, my wife and I, we generally go south for the winter. He said, we're going south this winter, but we're not going to be gone as, nearly as long because I don't want to be apart from my church family. It's like, wow. Folks, we can encourage one another when we physically meet together when we literally know one another together. But if Christians choose to just stay at home, just watch online in complete isolation away from a church family, how can you encourage anybody? How can anyone encourage you? How can anyone even know you? I told you earlier that even right now, there's between 100 to 200 people that will connect online between both of our campuses on a weekend. How can anyone encourage them? How can anyone even know them since they've chosen to stay home? You see why together is what? Better. Next point. The physical gathering of the church allows us to follow the one another commands of the Bible. And maybe you didn't know this, but the Bible is filled with one another commands. How, as Christians, we are to treat one another in the body of Christ. Let me read for you some of those out of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, what these verses tell us is that when we are around other Christians, we are to be humble towards them. We are to be patient towards them. If people are Christians who choose to just stay at home and confine themselves to only watching online, who are you going to be humble towards? Who are you going to be 
gentle towards. It gets interesting. He says we're to be patient with one another, which, by the way, sort of implies that sometimes when you get together with brothers and sisters in Christ, they can be a little bit irritating. You ever had that time where a brother in Christ or sister in Christ could be a little annoying? He says also we are to bear with one another in love. That means put up with other people that sometimes may not be wired just like we are in the church. And those virtual church people, you know what they say? (laughs) That's one of the reasons they get to stay home. I get to avoid all those annoying church people. And you know what I would say to that? Too bad. I feel sorry for you. You know why God puts in the church people that will require our patience? Why God puts in the physical church people that we have to bear with and and love? is because God is in the process of maturing us. He's making us more like Jesus. And He puts into our church family people who are different than us, that requires us to exercise patience, requires us to exercise love, and to become more and more like Jesus Christ over time. But those who choose to stay home, they miss out on all the refining qualities of the church family that God has given us to mature us. Folks, together is, say it with me, together is better. Be Baptist just today. I promise you can get rid of the Baptist thing when Jordan comes back next week, but let's go with that. Let me look at the next point. Joyfully participating in the physical gathering of the church is actually proof that we belong to Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In the book of Ephesians, you go to chapter 2. The first 10 verses talk to us about how Jesus Christ has reconciled us in our relationship with God. Through his death, burial, and resurrection to new life, through faith in Jesus, we can have forgiveness of our sins, and our relationship with God is restored. And that's the gospel we often preach in the church. But if you continue in Ephesians chapter 2, You go past the first 10 verses, go to verses 11 through 20, what we find is Jesus Christ doesn't just reconcile us into a relationship with God, but He reconciles us into a relationship with each other. He takes what is the the differences and the difficulties between us, and He is bigger than those things, and He unites us. Interestingly, I meant to put this in my notes We often read about this in the New Testament of how Jews and Gentiles are supposed to get along with one another. Do you remember that the Jews wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles? That the Jews, when it came to Samaria, they'd walk around the whole thing, rather even rock through the country. Talk about racial division. Talk about, like, hatred of your brothers. But when you come to the gospel, 
and you come to the church, what we find is the Jesus that unites us is much bigger than any of the differences that divide us. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 16, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That in the church, what is displayed is people who would normally be enemies, Jews and Gentiles, people who would normally be adversaries, maybe black people and white people, are all united together worshiping Jesus. Because the Jesus that unites us is far greater than any of the differences that would ever divide us. And when you have people that refuse to come together in the church, refuse to worship together in the church, they'd prefer to stay home and live in isolation from the different brothers and sisters they have at the church, what you have is fake faith. Genuine faith, Christians want to come together. Genuine faith, Christians want to be together. It doesn't matter if they're black Christians or they're white Christians. It doesn't matter if they're old Christians or if they're extremely young Christians. It doesn't matter if they're rich or they're poor. Jesus unites them together and draws us together. In fact, I'll just mention this. One of my visions for Crosswinds is that it would be a church that is very diverse. I often hear about, you know, this church over here, well, that's a 20-something church, or that's a young people's church, or that church over there, that's just an old people's church. That's not Jesus' vision for the church. Jesus' vision is that old people and young people come together, can worship together, because Jesus is bigger than just their preferences with their age groups. That's what I want Crosswinds to be. That's the vision we have for the future. And if God blesses us in that area, I hope that we are a racially different church in the future someday so we can display the greatness of Jesus uniting us together. Let's look at the next one. The physical gathering of the church is used by God as an evangelistic tool in the world. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I said this in the previous point, that God's plan for the church is Jews and Gentiles united together. People of different age groups united together. Different preferences all united together. Democrats and Republicans in the same church, praying together, loving one another together. That's Jesus' plan for the church. And when the outside world comes into these doors and they say, what are these people doing together? They should be at one another's throats. Don't you watch Fox News? Don't you watch CNN? Aren't you supposed to hate the other person? And we turn around and we say the same phrase again. Folks, the Jesus that unites us is far greater than any of the differences that divide us. 
And the world looks in the doors and says, I don't know what you've got, but I want a piece of it. And the answer is Jesus. Now, if you're in the virtual church, when you stay home in isolation and you don't get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are very different than you, you don't have an opportunity to to shine that evangelistic light in the world when the physical church of different ages and different age groups and different preferences and different styles all gets together. Folks, together is what? Better. Number eight, the physical gathering of the church enables the effective use of our spiritual gift. I don't know if you realize this, but if you are a Christian, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. He has given you, through His Holy Spirit, at least one supernatural ability to help build up, grow, and nurture the church of God. That spiritual gift enables you to be effective for Christ. When you use that spiritual gift, you experience great joy for Christ. And just so you know, Our spiritual gifts are not given to serve us. Spiritual gifts are given to us to serve other people, other Christians. Let me read for you Romans chapter 12, 6 through 8, just to give you an idea of what some of these spiritual gifts look like. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You can see those are all rather ordinary things, teaching, giving, serving, spiritual gifts. But how does that work if you limited yourself to the virtual church? You've chosen to stay home and just watch online. God's given you a gift, but who are you going to use it for? That gift is what enables you to be effective in the church family. But there's no church family for you to use it. The using of that gift gives you joy. But there's no joy that is yours. Because you're not using it because you've chosen to just watch an event by staying at home. Paul often describes the body or the church like a body. You know, some are hands, some are noses, some are feet. What happens if the foot just decides to stay by itself? It doesn't work real well. It needs the other parts of the body to function effectively. So, folks, together is what? Better. That's why we gather as the physical church And the virtual church can never replace the physical gathering. Let's have a little theology here. This will be fun. God dwells more intimately in the gathered church than in individual Christians. Theologians put it this way, how God's presence dwells among His people. There's what I would like to call level one. And that's simply that God is everywhere. You guys know that. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free from your presence? You can go as high as you want in the sky. You can go to outer space. God's there. You can go as deep as you want into the Mariana Trench. 
God's there. You can go spelunking to the heart of the earth. God's just as much there as he was on the surface. But while God is everywhere, the Bible tells us that uh, God dwells in a special way in you and I as Christians. That's what I call level two. God dwells more intimately in Christians. It says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, so not everybody has this, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world doesn't have the spirit of truth living in their heart. We have the spirit of truth living in our heart, which is why all of a sudden the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin we have never seen before. He leads us to repentance we have never desired before. He, we have a hunger for reading the Word of God that we never experienced before. That's the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, this is where most people forget. There's a, a third level, a third level of how God dwells in His people, and that's this. God dwells even more intimately in the gathered church than He does in the individual Christian. Remember this one? For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That when we gather on Sunday morning, there is an extra special presence of the Holy Spirit in our corporate gathering that is not found in our individual and private worship. You say, well, okay, I like that Matthew verse, but tell me more. How about this? 2 Corinthians 6.16, and by the way, I put two extra verses if you want more support on this, they're in your outline here. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Now in the Old Testament times, God dwelled in the temple. We know there were almost concentric rings. You know, the Holy of Holies is the place where God dwelled into which the high priest could only go once a year and all, all that kind of stuff. But the temple is God. So where does God's presence dwell most powerfully and impactfully on earth now? Paul says, it's the church. When the body gathers... That is where God's presence dwells most powerfully and impactfully. What about those who choose to just stay home? Just watch online. Not part of the gathered church, but just watching an event of church. In my estimation, they're denying themselves the experience of the most powerful dwelling of God on earth, which is in the gathering of His people, right here. Folks, together is what? Better. Better. Thank you. Number 10, God promises to destroy those who would destroy the gathering of the church. Pretty strong words. He says this, Do you not know that you, and that's plural, by the way, not singular, are God's temple? That's what we talked about. And that God's Spirit dwells in y'all, it's plural. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, 
And you, you all, plural here, are that temple. Now, in context, this is more referring to people who are engaging in divisive behavior, who are trying to destroy the unity of the church. But can't that also sort of be legitimately transferred over to maybe a pandemic that told people to stay home from church? And now what began as a necessity to not gather has become a matter of convenience. You know, it's easier to stay home and watch Pastor and Pancakes. It's easier to stay home and watch Worship and Waffles. But whatever is destroying the unity of the gathered church of God is something that God takes very seriously. He does command us to gather. And He promises to destroy anyone who would destroy His church. Now let's get to some practical stuff. It's sort of fun. By the way, just so you know, digital pastoring is what I call difficult pastoring. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He's obtained by His own blood. Pastor Jordan, myself, elders, deacons, we have a responsibility for the oversight of the flock. Just like a shepherd cares for, for sheep. You have to care about, these are my sheep, and I have to care about them and watch over them. But here's the problem. What about those 100 to 200 people that are watching at home online each week? I have no idea who they are. I have no idea how to pastor them. I have no idea how to care for them. No idea how to shepherd them. They're like a shepherd, a lamb, all by itself out in the field. A few weeks ago, we had a couple return to the Spirit Light campus. <laughs> they finally returned after the pandemic. And they had been watching online. And the wife and the husband came up and wanted to talk to me after the service and in the front pew and we're catching up. And the wife just starts talking about work. And tears are in her eyes. She says, it is so hard right now. I am under so much pressure and I can't find people to work. There's just not enough people who are, it doesn't matter what I pay. I can't, you know, guys know what I'm saying. You've seen the work signs up all over the place. And everything is just going bad for her. And I felt the Holy Spirit saying to my heart, just pray for her. And I stopped her right on the spot. And I put my hand on her shoulder. I said, let's pray. And we just called out to God asking for mercy asking to just line situations up and bring the people and help her to handle the stress of the work. And we finished. I said, amen. And she turned and looked at me and said, thank you so much. I just needed that. She hadn't come back to church. How would I have been able to pray for her? How would anyone would have known about the pain and the heartache in her heart if she just stayed home all the time? Folks, digital pastoring is difficult pastoring, if not almost impossible pastoring. Don't stay home. Number 12, uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper, by the way, were, intended, were not intended to be virtual and individual. I mentioned to you earlier that in Spirit Lake, we've been streaming for like a dozen years. And during those dozen years, we've had some really strange things happen. And this was one of them. A couple of years ago, Diane, you might even remember this. You might have been there at the time. 
I had somebody text me and says, oh, by the way, when you're doing communion, could you put a runner across the bottom of the screen telling us at the beginning of the service that we're going to be doing communion together so I can get the crackers and the juice out of the refrigerator ahead of time? I was like, well, that's somebody who's watching online who's taking communion seriously. I, by the way, I still don't know who they are. They just messaged us. But here's where a little bit of the problem breaks down. Communion is not just about how it's Jesus' body and blood that were sacrificed to bring us into a relationship with God, but Jesus gave us a relationship with one another, that we are now a new family through Jesus. And uh, actually, if you look at what the Scripture says in Mark chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, it says there's some seriousness to this. Because there is one bread, we who are many are now one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So ideally in a church, it should be one loaf of bread that's broken up up front and passed out, and everybody partakes of one loaf of bread. By the way, we don't do it that way for two reasons. One is, you'd be here a long time. And number two is, for sanitary reasons. But at least we are taking the Lord's Supper together. That we take the Lord's Supper, we look over and we can see our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been knit together as part of a family because of Jesus. But when you're at home, in complete isolation, do you see any brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have a sense who is even part of your family in Christ? When you're isolated? In the virtual church? You don't. Folks, together is what? Better. Better. Thank you. And by the way, when it comes to baptism, it's the same thing. Baptism, ideally, is to be a public thing. It's to be a thing that is done with your brothers and sisters in Christ as you make a public proclamation of your faith in Jesus. But when you're in the virtual church, how do you do baptism if you come to Christ? If the only difference between your baptism service and your, morning sir, and your morning shower is the bar of soap, that's not the way God intended it to be. Together is better. Let me flip to the back. Church discipline, by the way, is almost impossible virtually. You realize that? When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, the power of our Lord Jesus with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. You wonder, what's going on there? Let me give you the background. We've got a guy in the church who is sexually involved with his stepmom. Wow. Like, that's not the person you want to date, your stepmom. It's literally, it says his, his father's wife. And what Paul says is the church is to talk to him and say, hey, this isn't right. This is not God's will for your life. This is sin. In fact, the church may need to discipline him. The church may need to excommunicate him to help him understand the seriousness of his sin. Church discipline takes place in the church family because it's so easy for us when we're on our own to wander into sin. We need brothers and sisters in Christ to help us see things about us we can't see and correct us. But once again, if you're in the virtual church and you're in isolation, 
with no one who knows your life, no one to speak into your life from a church family, how does that work? There's almost no church discipline and correction when you're in the virtual church. Folks, together is what? Thank you. I've got a guy up front here. Last one. Developing and affirming church elders, by the way, is almost impossible in the virtual church. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Sounds like a good list. But to know if any of those things are true, you need to be involved in a literal, physical church family where other people see your life, where other people can observe your life and see if you are hospitable, see if you are quarrelsome. If the church goes all online, how can you ever examine any of these qualities in a man's life? You can't. How could you ever affirm a man as an elder if all he did was watch online? You can't. In fact, if the church became all virtual, it would mean literally the extinction of the church in the next generation, not the spread of the church in the next generation, because we have to physically be together to see who God is affirming as leaders and elders. So, I have three simple application points for you today. While God is using the virtual church, and He's using it in all kinds of good ways, the virtual church, folks, can never replace the physical church. If you are somebody who is watching me at home right now, and you have chosen not to come back, my word for you is repent. Repent. The virtual church is a good thing, but it cannot replace the physical church. Together is better. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to keep this message, and I want you to keep it handy someplace. I told you at the very beginning that this virtual church push is a big thing in our culture right now. Andy Stanley and numerous other people are trying to get everybody to go online when it comes to church, and it's not a good thing. And the vast majority of Christendom is completely blind to the pitfalls that I just laid out for you this morning. You will have conversations with family. You will have conversations with friends. You will meet Christians that all they do is watch online. And you need to show them the truth from the Word of God. Put your finger in the text. So keep these notes handy. The last thing I would challenge you to do is this fall. Get involved, if you're not already, here in your physical church. Pour yourself into using your gifts and serving others. Will there be people you need to be patient with? Yes. Will you at times have to bear with others in love? Yes. But you know what? God is going to mature you into a man or woman who is like Jesus as you physically work together in your church body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your good plan is that we would be in a physical church together because together is so much better. 
Thank you for the good things you are doing with the virtual church to reach hundreds and thousands of people who would not have been exposed to the gospel apart from what is going on on the internet right now. But I ask that those that we're able to reach here at Crosswinds Church through the internet would not be people who are content to stay at home, but they would make the transition to becoming part of the physical body so they can grow into the full maturity of Jesus Christ that you intend for them. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.